Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Uh, Christmas, I don't know if you know this or not, I'm probably going to be the first to tell you, but Christmas comes on December 25th every year. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. As far as I know, since I've been in the world, we've never missed one. It literally comes December 25th every year. We didn't skip a year, like every single year. And here's the important thing, it comes whether you're ready or not. It absolutely comes. When you're a child, you know, Christmas takes forever, doesn't it? So, you know, like in August, if you're thinking about Christmas, that's like a lifetime or so away. And then literally, I remember as a kid when it would be Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve morning, it still would feel like to me that it was so far away, the slowest day of the year, time stopped at 12. I mean, it was like it would never, ever get here. But then you become an adult. Then you become an adult and somebody looks at you and they says, you know that Christmas Day is one week from today. And then you panic, right? And so you think, oh, wait, wait a minute. I, I think, I thought I was done. Am I done? Did I, I mean, did I, did I cross every T? Did I dot every I? Did I get everything on my list? Was I supposed to get? Is everything in the cupboard, you know, for the meal? Are we prepared? Is everything done? And so you go into this panic mode because it comes so fast. The great thing is when you're a child, no matter how slow it comes, it always gets there. There is the promise of the certainty of Christmas. It comes every year, December 25th. We've never missed one. For generation after generation after generation after generation, there was always this, this remnant of Jewish people who waited every single day. They woke up every single morning looking forward to their very first Christmas, the arrival of the Messiah, not Santa Claus. And in every single generation, there was a group of people who lived their lives every day in obedience to God's command, knowing that this could be the very day. It could be today. It was promised long ago, but today could be the day when the Messiah shows up to save us all from our sin, that that penalty will finally be paid once and for all. But unlike the certainty of our Christmas, this went on for generation after generation after generation, and this is really important that you understand this, nothing happened. Nothing. So like 99.99% of these people who waited and waited and waited for the coming of the Messiah, like 99.999% of them, they died. And there was no fulfillment of the promise. And many of, of these Jews, uh, they abandoned their faith. And they just gave up. 
And they said, what we thought, you know, was, was real, what we thought was a promise must have not have been a promise. It, it must just be a, you know, a, a big tale. It, it, was, it was just a myth. I mean, because we waited and we waited and we waited. And you know what? Our parents, they waited. And our grandparents, they waited. And then our great-great-grandparents waited. I mean, we've waited. We've literally been waiting for hundreds of years. And there's been no Messiah. But there was one group. There was always a group in every generation that got up every day. And they lived every day like today was today. This morning I want to introduce you to two of those people. And I got to be honest, it, it, it is like one of my favorite Christmas stories in the Bible. Because it is filled with so much relevant truth that I think that we can all connect to no matter where you are, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, at some point you will go through what they have went through. These are two people who waited and waited and faithfully served God in spite of the fact that nothing was happening. And I really believe that today this message is going to set some people free because I think that there can be days, there can be weeks, there can be seasons. There were seasons for me where in our attempts to be good Christian people, y'all know what I'm talking about? to live faithfully for God, to serve faithfully, to faithfully serve God, that we can look around and there can be those times when we think, you know, where, like, where is the evidence that Jesus is alive, really? Where's the evidence? Like, I don't see anything happening in my life. Where, where's the evidence that he even hears my prayers? Like, I've been praying and praying and praying. I've been praying for years that have turned into what feels like you know, tens of years that have not just 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, but I know people that have literally, there have been things I've been praying for for way too many years and I've never seen the evidence that God has ever heard that prayer. And if you go down that road long enough, you know where you end up? You'll think, where's the evidence that God loves me? Does he care? So let's look at the story of two people that I think that we'll all be able to relate to, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Here's how their story begins. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. When Herod was the king of Judea, there was a, high, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron, which I just think it's good to get a preacher in the story, don't you? Like last week, Joseph, we don't have a preacher there. I mean, the Son of God is going to be born, and you know, God didn't even choose a professional. I mean, like, can you trust a God that wouldn't trust a professional? Hello, are y'all out there? <clears throat> I mean, he was just a carpenter, right? And from the looks of things, he was a poor carpenter. He wasn't even a great carpenter, as far as we know. So here we have a couple of people from a long line of this priestly order. And then verse 6, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. And, and for those of you that were here last week when we looked at Joseph, this, this Greek word for righteous is the very same word that described Joseph. It said that Joseph was a righteous man. And it's the Greek word dikaios. That is the Greek word. And if you remember last week, it, it does not 
implies sinless perfection, but it refers to one who is law-abiding, upright in character, and generally obedient. I love that, don't you? Like, not all the time, but generally speaking, generally speaking, here are two people that were obedient and faithful to God's commands. In other words, they're not perfect, but they're certainly in the game. And I didn't get that out of a commentary, as you can probably tell. They're certainly in the game. What does that mean? It means this. It means that, you know what, they're not on the sidelines, that they are literally in the game. And being in the game doesn't mean that they don't make a few mistakes, they don't miss an assignment, they fail to make a tackle. It doesn't mean that they don't drop the ball occasionally. It doesn't mean that they don't fumble occasionally. But what it does mean is that their hearts, they are literally, they are in the game. They have a genuine heart for God. In other words, watch this, it's important. What they have is a relationship with God. And let me just say, it's the only thing in the end that mattered for them. They were, to finish up the verse, careful to obey most of the Lord's commands. It doesn't say most, right? It says, it says all. It says that they were faithful to obey all the Lord's commands and regulations. And if you've read the Old Testament, let me just say, whoa, dude, that's a lot of commands and, and decrees, that's a, that's a lot of laws. Like they were the top 10, and then the Jews said, you know what, we need to come up with as many laws as we can that will help us to be able to be faithful to the 10. So they came up with over 600 more laws, and then there's all these laws and regulations and decrees that refer to you know sacrifices and what sacrifice you offer. And I would go back in the Old Testament and read that, and I would say, I know why God, you know, I, know why God I know why I was born when I was born. Because if I had to remember all that, I would be, I'd show up at church with the wrong, with the wrong sacrifice. I'd show up a pigeon and it should have been a dove. Y'all, you know what I'm talking about? So I would be out front of the church. Can I trade you a pigeon for a dove? I mean, like, I'm in a mess right now. I'm in a pinch. Can you help a brother out? So when you read that, they were faithful to all. And it's just complex. So complex. And yet, here's a couple. They're just trying to get it right. And so if you were to hire a private detective and if you would have said, I want you to follow these, these guys around for the next week, for the next two weeks, for the next month, and then I want you to come back and report to me. And, and if you had had that report at the end of the month, if you'd sat down with that private detective, that private detective would have probably said, well, you know what, I've had a little bit of time to observe. I've taken some pictures. I've saw them in, in some different places. I've seen them at work. I've seen them in the, in the community. I mean, I've seen them in different places. I've saw them at the market. And here's the thing. They wobble a little bit. You know what I'm saying? They kind of mess up a little bit every now and then. But I got to be honest, when you look at the lives of these people, their hearts are in the game. I really have nothing to report. They're not perfect. But they're fully committed to God. It's easy to see. Now, here's what's amazing. Here's what's really, really amazing. They were doing what they were doing as followers of God based on their relationship with him. Based on their relationship with him because for the last 400 years, God has been silent. He's been silent to Israel as a nation. In fact, there's a period of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament that, that deep theologians call the silent period. I think I could have come up with that one, don't you? The silent period. So for 400 years, God has been silent to the people as a nation. God hasn't spoke. God hasn't shown up for 400 years. You know what that means, right? 
that parents died with no hope to leave their children. And they would have had to say, well, I gotta be honest, your great, 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 great grandfather got up every morning and lived faithfully, tried to keep all the laws and all the decrees and all the commands. They lived as righteous as they could. They gave their whole lives to God. But God never came. He never fulfilled. And so they died without the promise being fulfilled. And, and it's continued to just to filter down to every generation. And I'm looking at you and I'm fixing to die. And I can't really offer you any hope. I can only tell you that he promised that he would come, but he just hasn't come yet. And if you really dig into this, if you really study, you know what you'll find? That for 400 years, he'd remain silent. For 700 years, he hadn't really worked on the behalf of Israel. That's like, what? But their relationship with God, it produced trust. See, that's the thing in this story. If you really just stop and hang out with the story and don't just say another Christmas story. Wow, you know what? Luke 1. I've read this many times before. If you stop and just sit in the story for just a few minutes and when you look at that, it's overwhelming. Wait a minute. It had to be a relationship. For some reason, they trusted God and believed that Christmas was near. They lived every day as if the Messiah was coming today. They lived their lives believing that God was going to keep his promise. And again, there's no evidence that God is going to do any of that. But they're still committed. So I wrote this. this and I laughed at myself because I was checking to write what I really thought. I said to many, maybe skeptics, I think skeptics, maybe there's a lot of Christians this morning, supposed followers of Jesus, that maybe you're to a place in your life, you're doing through a season in your life when you would say, just how is all of this righteous living really working for me? I mean, really? What's the payoff? What has all this righteous, what has it produced? I don't appear as though I'm any closer to having a prayer answer today than, than, than yesterday. Then verse 7, things are going to get better. Things are going to get much, much better. Verse 7, they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. And honestly, I read that and I thought, that's not what I wanted to hear. Can I be honest? When I'm, when, I'm, when I'm working through these stories, when I'm trying to get into them, I'm thinking, and really, this is not like something I want to share with our church on a Sunday morning, knowing that we'll have so many unchurched people, knowing that we'll have so many skeptics in the house, and they will wonder, yeah, like, where is God? Really, where is he? I think, So she's getting up day after day after day after day, waiting for the Messiah, serving in the temple. Her and her husband are being good people. And then God rewards their faithfulness with barrenness. In this culture, it was a big deal. In this culture, it would have been, they would have, everyone would have looked at the woman and said, it was your fault. 
What kind of sin do you have in your life? I mean, God is the one who decides who has kids and who doesn't. And, and he obviously, there's, there's something in your life and, and he's caused you to be barren. There's some sin. If it's not your sin, maybe it's the sin of your parents. Maybe, maybe, and I know that it would be the fault of the woman, but there would have been people that would have also looked at, into the eyes of Zechariah and they would have thought, what, what have you done? What, what have you done that is so wrong that God would have given you a woman that is barren? And so, Elizabeth, this righteous woman, and remember, she's not perfect, but she's in the game. She's not on the sidelines. She's not complaining. She's in the game. She lived this blameless life before God and she isn't going to have a baby. And then the verse ends with, and they were both very old. In other words, it's too late. That's the implication. It's, it's too late. So they had prayed and they had waited with nothing to show for all of their prayers and all of their waiting and all of their faithful living. And Elizabeth, she had to carry, and I'm gonna show you, we'll get to a verse in a minute, where she literally was never able to let it go. She never got over the fact that she was barren. She never got over the fact that women still, in her old age, looked at her as though something were wrong. I think that the reason this story is so important for us is because I've said earlier there are moments, there are periods, there are seasons in our lives when we wonder, come on, man, is God listening to me at all? And when you question whether he's listening, and maybe I'm just letting you in my world, but I always ask the question, so if I don't know if you're listening, then I question whether or not you really care. The story continues. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple. Wow, still serving. It's huh, crazy. For his order was on duty that week. And as a custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot, which is a, 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 which is a really religious way of saying that they gambled. It was, it was a toss of the dice. Woo, that'll freak you out, won't it? You can't say, can you say that on Sunday morning? Probably not. Probably I shouldn't have. That's probably one of those things Karen said, you shouldn't have said that. But that's, I mean, that's, that's, but they saw that as, as one of the ways that God would speak to roll the dice, so to speak. He was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to burn incense. So there are like 23 groups of priests. So they cast lots to decide who's going to be going in. And, and so everything I read said that a priest literally could spend his whole life and the lot never fall his way. But he's chosen. Zechariah's chosen. This is his time. So he goes in and he stands right outside the curtain that divides the outer temple from the Holy of Holies and where God dwells. And, and he, so he's offering incense to God. And so this is a very, very sacred occasion. <clears throat> where this man, who God has not blessed, his wife is barren, he's been waiting for years on the Messiah, living as faithfully as he knows how, he's just serving God. 
Verse 10, while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared. Right? Come on. Y'all, come on, y'all got something. In. Woo! That's what I'm talking about. We got to have a little bit of good news, right? Don't you think? All this faithful serving, nothing's ever happened. He's in there doing what he's supposed to do. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense. So he's just in there doing his priestly thing, just another day, trying to be faithful. And suddenly, an angel appears to him. Zechariah was shaken. I guess so. Of course, he was shaken. It's not like every day that God shows up, right? He was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, but the angel said, don't be afraid. That's just a weird thing to say, isn't it? Sounds like it ought to be there. It's like a Bible thing, but you think, like, who wouldn't? You know, it's been 400 years since, like, God showed up and spoke in an amazing ways. 700 years since God's really been working on behalf of his people. And then this is the moment. God has heard your prayer. And I think that's awesome. God has, God has heard your prayer. So I've, as, as you well know, I have, a, I have a pretty extensive, pretty long prayer list. And, and so I, there's people that I've been praying for, literally that I've been praying for for years. And it seems like every day I'm adding to that, that prayer list. And as you can imagine, it's a pretty long prayer, a prayer list. And so there's some people, I, I was praying the other day, and there was somebody you know, fairly close to the top of my my prayer list, and I was praying, and I got to be honest, I started to whine and complain a little bit. Y'all probably never do that, right? No, no, no. Y'all a lot more spiritual than me, but, but I was kind of, I was thinking, I said, man, I just love this person so much, and God, I just, you know, I mean, really, please, Lord, of all the prayers that you're going to answer, <clears throat> I was almost to a point to say, you know what, and if you want to kind of maybe, you know, like ditch a couple other people on here, that'd be cool. Like, this is one of those people, Lord, that I just wish you would show up and do something. And God, you haven't. And so in that moment, I thought, God, are you really, are you hearing me pray? And I think it would be cool if an angel would show up and say, yeah, just so you know, he's listening. So on this particular day, as I'm working my way through my prayer list, I get to one particular man that I've been praying for for a long time. And this is a man who had cancer. And, and just so you know, he had cancer. And, and so the doctors didn't give him any kind of treatment that would save his life. There was no cure for this cancer. They just said, it'll prolong your life. It'll just give you a little bit longer on planet Earth. And so he had some decisions that he had to make. And, and the most radical, he said, no, I, I'm in medicine. I've been in medicine for a number of years, and I know what that's like, and I'm not going to choose that. And so here's the way I want to go out. And so he was choosing the way that he wanted to die, literally. That was his choice. That was his choice to make. So I just continued to pray, God, heal him, heal him. There were several on the prayer list at the same time, actually going through the exact same thing that I was praying for. I said, Lord, please just heal these guys. If you could just heal these guys, Lord. If you could just show up in an amazing way. So I'm on my way to Tennessee, I, maybe a Thursday night by myself. I looked down at my cell phone. My cell phone was ringing, and it was him. And I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. This has got to be, and honestly, being the spiritual giant that I am, I thought it was bad news. You know what I'm saying? I thought he was going to pick up. I mean, I've got two days to live. I mean, really, that's, that was the kind of thing that was going through my mind. Again, being the man of faith that I am. And so I picked up, and, and all I could hear was a man sobbing on the other line. And it seemed like it took him quite, quite a, a few minutes before he could you know, regain his composure. And he said, Scott, I just want you to know, he said, I've, I've read the doctor's report. I haven't gone to the doctor. I haven't talked to a doctor one-on-one. But I'm in medicine. I read the report. There is no trace of cancer in my body. 
It gets better. Hang on, hang on. Oh, you're going to save, you save that thing because it gets better. So I, I don't know, days, weeks later, here's what he told me. He said, Scott, here's the, listen, I went to my doctor, the, the very doctor that found my cancer. I went back to that doctor. He examined me. And you know what he said? He said, there's no evidence that you've ever had cancer. He said, listen, the treatment that we give you, there should be scar tissue. I don't know what to tell you. There's no scar tissue. I mean, like when God, you know, cleans something up, he does it really, really well, right? It's an amazing story. It gets better. <clears throat> this same guy gets COVID. He has COVID pneumonia, all the COVID junk that you can get. Like he got it. Like he's, he, is he blessed or what? You know, cancer and now he's got COVID. So his, bro his brothers ended up, rushed him to the hospital. They call EMS. They get him to the hospital. The doctor said, if you had, if you had delayed two hours, you would have died at home. And God healed him of COVID as well. You don't know, do you? You're thinking. Here's my point. So I'm working my way down my prayer list. And as I'm working my way down my prayer list, I go, God, I am so sorry. I am so sorry, Lord. You know what? You've allowed me this year actually to experience four major miracles, four major miracles where there is nothing to dispute the power of God, that God showed up in the most overwhelming, amazing way. But like sometimes I just, it would be cool if I had an angel to say, hey, I know, I know. But he's listening. Let's read on. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you're to name him John and you're going to have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. That's awesome. And he will turn many Israelites back to the Lord their God. And why, why, would, why would they turn away? They turned away because why? Because God had been silent. <clears throat> God hadn't been at work. God hadn't been active in their lives for so long that they gave up. Let's read on, and he'll be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. I thought this morning as I was going over all this scripture, I thought, we're like reading the whole New Testament, you know, so just hang on. It's good stuff. I don't, I don't know how to give you bits and pieces because there's so much stuff in every part of the story. He will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah, and he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, dude, it's kind of there, I'm telling you, it's kind of there in the Greek and he says, I, how can I be sure this is gonna happen? I'm old. And he's very polite to his wife. He says, and she's, Along in years as well. She might be listening. I ain't saying she's old. She's just a well along in years. In other words, he says to the angel, okay, like, this is awesome. I'm glad you heard our prayers, but honestly, it's too late. It's too late. 
See, we were praying, we were faithful, and we were praying when we were in our 20s, and we prayed on into our 30s. We prayed into our 40s and our 50s and our 60s and our 70s. And finally, I gotta be honest, we quit praying. Like you are a day late and a dollar short. I don't know what to tell you. It's not possible for a woman her age to bear a child. I love this. Gabriel's a little sassy. He's a little sassy. And he'll say, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. See who sent me to bring this good news. But now, since you're such a half-wit, that's not that what he said. Since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled in the proper time. And is it just me? But I thought, that sounds a little harsh. Can you not give the brother a break? I mean, he's old. His wife is old. They've been faithful. He was serving in the temple. Like, you know what? He's showing up. He's checking all the boxes. You know, he's doing everything right. Verse 21, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why it was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he, he couldn't speak. Then they realized from his gestures that his silence and his silence that he must have been, he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. Can you imagine that scene? Like you think, you mean you gotta be kidding me. After all these years, and what's that game, Jonathan? Charades, yeah. So he's kind of do like charades. See, games are from the pit of hell. I'm just saying that right now. So he's, out, he's trying to, to describe, I don't know how you do that. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what the sign is for all that kind of stuff. When Zachariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and she went into seclusion for five months. Golly, listen to what she says. She says, how kind is the Lord. Now, that's, that's a godly woman. If it's me, I'm saying it's not going to look good in Scripture. I would have said, well, it's about time. <laughs> that's not what she says. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. Watch this. You don't think she didn't take this into her old age? He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Don't you understand? How, how, how frustrating could it be to wake up every day and because you have this relationship with God that is unexplainable, you just trust him. And you trusted him in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s and your 50s and you trusted him and you carried the disgrace that everybody else thought that you weren't righteous, that you weren't holy, that you weren't in the game and that there was something behind the scenes that was messing you up and God couldn't bless you. She carried that into her old age. Wow, what a story. What an amazing story. I can relate to. Here's how the story concludes and here, here's how our next story begins. Luke 1, verse 26, in the sixth month. Of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an, the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. <laughs> ah. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph descendant of King David. Wow. See, there is in every generation, in 
every generation. There's a remnant of Christians who have to decide. They will have to decide whether or not they'll remain faithful to God in spite of the fact that they can't see God really doing anything around them. They'll have to decide. And maybe, maybe you'll be like me. You know, and God will be blessed and He will be answering prayers. But maybe you're focused in on something and you say, But God, of all the prayers I wanted you to answer, if you could just answer this one. And you'll have to decide Am I going to be faithful? Do we believe or do we stop believing? Am I going to serve? Or am I finally going to say, you know what, forget this. I'm not serving anymore. And if you're serving God to check a box so that the blessing of God will come out of all that you do for Him, you'll quit. You'll quit. You'll walk away. You know what, you won't give anymore either. You'll stop giving. Because giving won't make any sense to you. Why am I giving to a God who won't bless me back? I give to get. Or do you just give because you, you, just, you just can't believe of the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God? And God has so humbled me in my life that there's been times when I've kneeled to pray and I have literally said, I've said, God, I'm just going to be honest. If you never answer another prayer that I pray, never show up in my life again. Honestly, you have blessed me so far beyond anything that I can comprehend or take in. And yeah, Lord, I've cursed your name. I have. I've wanted to quit. I've threatened to quit. But through my relationship with God, He's proven to be trustworthy. How about you? How about you? The good news is, if that's your situation, there's nothing wrong with you. I just want you to know there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with you if that's your situation. Welcome to the common experience for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus and have decided to follow Him in spite of the fact that we don't see any answers to our prayers. That you will come to the conclusion that you know what, Jesus, you and you alone, just my relationship with you is enough. It's enough. It's enough. If that's you, then welcome to the world of Zachariah and Elizabeth, a couple who decided to walk blamelessly before the Lord. In spite of not just missing a blessing but what appeared to be a curse. So the challenge for you as a follower of Jesus is to have faith and believe when nothing seems to be happening around you that calls you to believe. Maybe you're here this morning you're not a follower of Jesus. And you know why you're here this morning? <laughs> because God has shown up. Angels we have heard on high and God you don't even know it but God has been about the business of drawing you here this morning you know why to speak to you maybe you feel like God I didn't know God I, like I've been wanting God to speak to me 
I've I've prayed that he would speak to me. I want you to know that you're here because God has been speaking. And he had a message for you this morning. And right now, this very moment, he's speaking in your life. Here's what he's telling you. I'm crazy about you. I'm crazy about you. And I want a relationship with you. And listen, you got a problem with sin. I want you to know I took care of that on the cross. And so Jesus went to the cross and willingly gave his life, shed his blood pay the penalty for your sin it's done and on the third day he was raised from the dead and listen he's willing this morning to step into your life if you let him and love you like you've never been loved before it's about a relationship it's not about rules and regulations it's not about crossing every T and dotting every I you are going to mess up that was the point of the cross if you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be then Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Maybe you'd pray a prayer or something like this. Maybe you'd just simply say, you know what, Jesus, thank you for thank you for speaking. Thank you for speaking to me. And just tell him, say, you know what, Lord, I just want to surrender my life to you to the best of my ability. Forgive me. Forgive me of all my sin. From this day forward, I just want to fully surrender my life to you. Help me to walk, Lord, in the power of the resurrection. Teach me. Walk with me. Lord, you're amazing. Your word. Lord, I'm old. Every year, even with the Christmas story, you still continue to make it fresh. You continue to teach me new stuff. Because it's all about the relationship. I love you. And I thank you for loving me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, this is Christmas, and of course the Christmas is to focus on the birth of Jesus but you can't really focus on the birth of Jesus without immediately going to the crucifixion to the price that Jesus paid on the cross right that's where the celebration is for us it's hallelujah that he came but that he was willing to fulfill his his mission his purpose his reason for being here and that was to go to the cross and give his life to shed his blood and on the third day to be resurrected communion you have these cards that are in your hand you might be brand new to church and the whole thing of communion is like brand new to you it explains to you what communion is some of you may have been in church your whole life and quite honestly maybe you've partaken of communion but you really didn't understand it the night before Jesus died he gathered his disciples with him in an upper room and he he tried to explain to them here's what's going to happen in the next few hours they couldn't possibly wrap their brains around that He said, I'm going to give you some symbolism. You've partaken of the Passover, which is symbolic of of God passing over. But I want you to understand, I'm I'm going to shed my blood. In just a little while, I'm going to shed my blood on the cross to one time and finally, forevermore, pay for the price of all sin for all time. 
and you guys are going to be broken and you're going to be confused. And every time you partake of communion, every time you partake of the bread, I want you to remember my body that's going to be broken. And every time you, you partake of the wine, I want you to remember my blood that's going to be shed. That's the time for us as followers of Jesus to reflect. It's a pretty sweet time. It's a time for you as a family that you can do that together. There are stations all over this auditorium. So all you have to do is look over your shoulder, look to the right or look to the left. There's even one in the back uh, for those of you that have problem with gluten. We've tried to think of everything so that you can still partake of and to remember the incredible love of God, the price that was paid on the cross for the penalty of our sin. I'm going to pray and Dylan's going to sing. And you might want to just wait just for a minute. That's okay. You can do that. And then if you will, if you, those of you that have been around here for a long time, you'll teach newcomers and you'll just, you'll just immediately go to a station and there'll be people there to serve you. Father, uh, as we reflect, as we remember, I pray that it'll be a time, Lord, for us to reflect on the beauty and the wonder of salvation the incredible price that was paid and for the love that's afforded to us all because of the, of the cross. Lord, you bless this time. It's in your sweet name that we pray.